with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Um, um, bum, bum. It's time to light the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time to meet the Muppets on the Muppet Show tonight. Good evening, everyone. I am Van Helsing, and with me, the gold standard and ghost hunter, the godfather of the paranormal, Steve Parsons. Yeah, good evening. I, I was just looking at our Facebook post. What's a fart, girl? What? <laughs> you want to learn to spell. What did I write? The God fart, fart good. Yeah, that's what you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's Polish for father. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it? Is it really? Yeah. Oh, good evening yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yep, that's it. So two hours you with me, you lucky. recovery. Lucky guy. Yeah, sleep is just so underrated, isn't it? Of course it, it is. It's not like you can go anywhere. <laughs> you can't. Uh, I can do a lot of things. We're in a, we're in a, we're in a good state. We're we're in a good state. <laughs> yeah, it won't last. We're banning people from our state. That's how good we are now. We used to be the worst, one of the worst, but we've recovered. We're doing much better now. Thank you. <laughs> second wave is coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll wave at the second wave. Anyway, so yeah. Yeah, thank, there you go. Thank you Maybe for not. joining us today, and uh, yeah, it's going to be great. All right, so let's right out of the gate. I watched uh, Harry Price, Ghost Hunter. Oh yeah, well, oh god, I liked it. Sorry, I didn't like I didn't like it because it wasn't true to <clears throat> Harry Price, but the, the movie itself was good. I thought it was fair. I mean, I'm not fair, sorry. Fair I to, watched it. Fair to who? What do you mean, fair to watch? Well, I don't really care about it. It's not the, the deal about Harry well, Price. It was a good movie to watch. Well, yeah, it would have been if they called it Bob Smith. Oh, here we go. You are so sensitive about your boy Harry. I'm just so sensitive about the... Um, well, if, if, if something is historical, if the, you know, if something is a fact, then portray it. Oh, and besides not, which, anything besides, is produced by Hollywood is not a fact. It's based on facts, and it's the loosest fact you can possibly you know, find. <laughs> well, I was going to say the only the only factual thing about that entire program was the fact of his name. Yeah, the real name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, other, other than that, other than that, they 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 just made up a story. You know, it could have been called Bob Smith, and it would have been just as just as relevant. No, he was a ghost uh, actor. So. Uh, no, actually, he, he he was a failed psychic, wasn't he? Who turned to becoming a charlatan? No, 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 no. <laughs> he, was, he was Harry Price, the great ghost hunter, and then he found out it, he could uh, uh, yeah. dupe people very easily, and and he got to like it, and they started doing it until the guy did what he did, and then uh, he saw the light again and realized he had gone down the the path, dark path. Hurrah! So yeah. that's 
he was the he was the great ghost hunter at the beginning, but uh, not the beginning of the show, but the beginning of his life, and then he strayed down that fake psychic path, which was kind of lame, to be honest with you. Uh, kind of lame. Yeah, kind of lame. I suppose I suppose it was as accurate as um, Pearl Harbor. That great movie, that, or um, Braveheart, or Braveheart, accurate, right? Braveheart, you know, yeah, Australians, yeah, Scots, the yeah, Australians. Oh, you know, they lead us, and the Americans. They left you guys, left led you guys, the Scots. You know, I, I, again, uh, the historical uh, accuracy of Braveheart stopped after they um, at the. Well, the only historical fact is um, it was filmed in Scotland. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. That's unfortunately that's what Hollywood Apart does. From that, Although I mean, I watch, it's, yeah, it's like a lot of films. I mean, you know, if you, if you take the Bra- Braveheart, the Patriot, it's actually the same film. Yeah, you've mentioned that you before. Peace loving farmer, <laughs> Brits come along. Oh, sorry, the pesky English come along. <laughs> he goes, "Whoa, I don't want to fight you." Well, I'm going to have to. Now you've made me angry. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I did watch a movie. Uh, it was three hours. It was made back in the day. It had every freaking big ass actor that was around then, and uh, it was fairly accurate uh, historically. And that was a bridge too far. And that was an excellent it, movie. It was. It was Cornelius Ryan's great film. Um, there were some, you know, well, there were. Yes, there were. Yeah, but they, I, I think in order to portray the event as as it, as it transpired, I think that they did have to um, compress and um, move some of the uh, historical timeline around a little bit. But yeah, broadly speaking, broadly speaking, it, it's you know it, it it portrays many of the key events um, very well, um, yeah. and it was in fact. Uh, when they filmed um, uh, Bridge Too Far, yeah. uh, the paradrop, which the live paradrop, um, which was included in it, was actually the second largest live military parachute drop since that one, the original really? one. Huh, yeah. Isn't that funny? Huh. Um, See, that's back when they made movies like movies, you know. They, yeah, they, they really made special them. effects. They, they yeah. actually got, you know, squadrons of uh, Dakotas and C-47s and uh, half Even the of, vehicles are accurate, you know. <laughs> yeah, they got half the British Parachute Regiment, half the American Airborne um, Divisions and filmed them yeah. jumping out of planes. Um, and lots of it was actually filmed very close to the original... Uh, locations as well. In fact, uh, on the original locations, albeit the, the, some of the bridges had changed because uh, they <laughs> subsequently fell down or were knocked down. Um, but it, in fact, I've had the great privilege many years ago. I, I, I knew one of the um, paratroop, regu- uh, paratroop British paratroopers who was at Arnhem, um, and he he attested to the accuracy of the film. No, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, when but you he can only attest to the accuracy of his portion of that. Well, he was he was in the group that got right to the bridge. Um, yeah, and we're in that, and and it's got one of my favourite movie lines in it, uh, which, which is, is. A, a very true story of of um, Jer- um, I can't remember his name now, the Yorkshire um, 
But when the Germans drove over the bridge, they planned... It was a guy with the umbrella. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Germans came over the bridge. Um, they, they said, Johnny Frost, yep. Colonel Frost. Um, they, they came over uh, ostensibly to, to ask for the surrender of the British paratroopers yep. um, who, were, who were defending the other end of the bridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the German stands up in the half track, and apparently this is one of the most accurate moments of the film, he stands up in the hard track and says, they have come to talk about surrender. And the British officer stands up, who was a second in command to Frost, and stands up and says, I'm sorry, old chap, we don't have the facilities to take you all, all prisoners. Yeah, I know, that was funny. Yeah. English uh, are the, the gold standard of understatement, I guess, for lack of a better word. Well, I mean, there were some inaccuracies in the one of the one of the great inaccuracies that a lot of people did object to um, in in the British uh, uh, Army uh, veterans at the time was the problem with the the Nijmegen Bridge, um, where they were waiting for the boats to arrive, right, and how the Americans were waiting endlessly for the boats to arrive. Um, and this portrayal that there was a British incompetence in the way that the convoy was assembled, so that the boats were miles back instead of being closer to the front, uh, that was that was actually historically inaccurate. But, mm-hmm. um, but in, in what in what sense? Uh, the boat the boats uh, were were not actually in part of the convoy. They were called up, and they travelled up as needed. Um, right. But the way that they, they kind of did that in the theater and the thing, that's what they said. And and the other, and the other thing as well is after they cross the bridge and then they all sit down, the uh, 30 course stop. And then they all say, well, you're going to stop and drink tea. Look, your men over there, you're only six miles away. Well, in reality, if you were a tank, you know, if you were the commander of, of an armored division, you couldn't move forward without your supporting infantry who were, an integral they part. Portray, of they actually portrayed that, but yeah, and, and, and the that was portrayed as the American point of view, where we wouldn't have stopped; we would have just gone. Yeah, we, and you would have got massacred. Well, <laughs> you don't know that. You're just get, assuming, but uh, well, even the Germans knew that in right in the start of Blitzkrieg in, in 1939, mm-hmm. because when they pushed ahead, when the Panzers pushed ahead of the infantry. Uh, they were forced to stop. Guderian was forced to stop, wasn't he? Um, just outside Dunkirk and await the infantry to catch up, which gave the British enough time to get themselves and the French off the beaches. It wasn't the Germans being benevolent. They'd outrun their military. They'd outrun the infantry. In reality, they had to run, outrun them a long time because they weren't supposed to do that, but they, he did that on his own volition, and that's why they had such great success is that, is that they did outrun their infantry. Is they yeah, just... but they couldn't, consult, they couldn't consolidate. The, you know, they, all they could do was run and shoot, but they couldn't consolidate. And then what was happening and what Guderian found out, of course, was that the, the, the French and the, the rear guard of the British army were just falling in behind them and potentially could trap them there. And you don't want to lose your entire right. panzer army right. or tank force. Mm-hmm. So they had to wait for the infantry. And well, it's a British tradition. We have to stop and take tea. Their, uh, yeah, their tank, tank, their German tanks were actually pathetic at that at the front beginning of the they war. They were, they were at the beginning. They were yeah. later on. Absolutely pathetic. They were, 
uh, inferior to the Allies. They were their crews were less trained than the Allies, and yet they did, had great success uh, uh, with their tactics because they came through the. Yeah, the in, fact, uh, in, in fact, it was uh, the Czechs who were one of the great motivators of German tank design, weren't they? Through the, uh, because once the Germans overrun Czechoslovakia, they got access to, to the Skoda. They still, yeah. And uh, it was. Uh, it was Skoda who uh, assisted with the development of German Panzers. I, I, I was actually watching a documentary on the the uh, the formation of Israel, which is really really intriguing, and in that uh, uh, after the British left, uh, you know, Israeli had nothing really, and so they they got this air force. What they did is they took American Jewish pilots and. Uh, they went and they purchased uh, surplus American planes from World War II, and uh, they uh, st- they went on the uh, the stance as an airline. They made up this thing, Argentine airline, and then they flew them into I think it was Brazil or Argentina, I forget which one it was, and then they flew across to Africa and then all the way up to Czechoslovakia. I mean Italy and then Czechoslovakia, and uh, that's when they were uh, fitted and everything. They used to, uh, they took, uh, the Czechoslovakia was the only one that, that helped them in the, as far as the air, air embargo, the embargo on them. And uh, they took some of their, they had a Messerschmitt factory and they built these things, I forget what they call them, Frankenschmitts Franken or something like that. They were the first uh, fighters that they had. They were uh, oversized engines in these smaller chassis and everything. It was really funny. It was a good story, but uh, yeah, they, they didn't have crap. But, yeah, the Czechs were very good manufacturers of, of military hardware. Mm-hmm. Still are, by of the way. We were, well, they are now. Uh, but we were, um, we, we were in the middle. In fact, again, growing up, I, I knew people that fought in Palestine. Um, mm. You know, they were, they were the policing Palestine when um, the, what would have been the, the, the the formation of the Israeli, uh, you know, were, were effectively a terrorist army fighting the British. Um, and there are, you know, there are lots of accusations by, um, by, by both sides and claims that Britain had po- promised um, the Jewish state um, in their own country, uh, mm-hmm. in Palestine. But that wasn't, yeah, when the documents were finally released, that wasn't historically, you know, as accurate, you know, as black and white as was portrayed. Yeah, nothing, is really, nothing is really black and white. Just, yeah. the, the British didn't say, you fight with us against the Germans and we will give you, you know, your a homeland in Palestine. Mm. Um, and then suddenly go, now nah, we changed our mind. Like mm-hmm. the Americans did, note famously after... They had uh, they've been given all of the details for the jet engine, and many of our scientists who had worked on the Manhattan Project, and the arrangement and the agreements were that uh, we would collaborate and we would share the technology, and we duly worked on the Manhattan Project. Our scientists worked on the Manhattan Project. Yeah, it was that it was duly, a scientist. We duly shared our jet engine technology. With, uh, with the Americans in 1944-45 and allowed them to build the Bell Aero Comet 
And then the Americans went, actually, we've got a working bomb now, and we're going to declare it a national state secret, and we're not going to tell anybody. Yep. Fair enough. Thank, thanks, America. Yeah. It's no problem. We'll just have to go make our own. Yeah, go ahead. And while we're at it, we'll make the world's first nuclear power station. You do that. And uh, I, I raise the issue... the first uh, nuclear project. submarine. I raised the Manhattan Project, and uh, because, of course, today is uh, August 5th, and tomorrow will be August 6th, and uh, the anniversary of the dropping of the bomb. Yep. Not one of our proudest moments. Well, again, we look back on history. We shouldn't look back on history with the lens of the 21st century. How how many people are alive now um, because of the work on the Manhattan Project? Sure, fair enough. And because of the the two A-bombs. And people always forget the second one, don't they? Everybody knows the name of Enola Gay. Um, and you know that I know the name of the second bomber. But do you? I, you know, you're asking me to remember names on the top of my head. You know I can't Your do history. That. Yeah, but I still can't remember names. It's like I don't Buzz Aldrin said, it's like, it? remember the sec- it's like Buzz Aldrin said, nobody will ever remember the second man on the moon. Just for the record, the second the Nagasaki bomber was boxcar. Yeah, I have heard of it before, uh, but I just can't remember. I would never remember. I I I I, I met a guy once. Um, he'd been an Air Force veteran, um, and he'd been captured by the Japanese in 1940. You know what name of the bomb was? The bomb. Yeah, the bomb. Uh, Fox, I think, you know. Oh, it was the little boy in Fat Man. The little boy. boy was the first one, a fat man was the yep. second one. Yeah, that I do remember. <laughs> um, anyway, this guy, he's he's um, made prisoner, and he's sent to work in the shipyards of Nagasaki. And he's on top of the roof of the prisoners' accommodation because by then uh, the Japanese were were starting on a path towards uh, surrender, maybe. Possibly, maybe, and uh, he he described seeing the, the the flash of the second bomb and uh, then being blown immediately off the roof into uh, a, a cesspit. Oh, lovely! And, uh, landing in a cesspit and then as the building Probably folded over life. the top of him. Saved his life. Probably landed saved his life. Saved, saved his life. Yep, landed shit, saved his life. Yeah, and. Uh, Came, yeah, they, 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 he extricated himself, and uh, he he lived to be a ripe old age. But he was about four miles from the shipyard. That's, when that's a miracle in so many ways. <laughs> well, you know, there were, there you know were how of, you know how infectious shit is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's lots of weird stories like that. There was a guy who's been on television a few years ago here, and he was a, a POW. Um, mm-hmm. British POW, and he'd been at Hiroshima um, in the rail yards at Hiroshima when the bomb went off there. And um, after after it exploded, they rounded all the all the POWs up, 
and moved them to Nagasaki. Oh, and he was there for the second. And he was actually a bomb twice. Yeah, it's true in the first one. We'll get you in a second. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was he he, he survived as well to a ripe old age. And there was, of course, there was that famous. Um, oh, I can't remember. It was a nurse, and she was it a nurse? Yeah, it was. She was on the uh, Titanic uh, when it sank. And afterwards, she then joined the, uh, that was in 1912, of course, in 1914, um, she joined the nursing auxiliary because she was a nurse. And she was posted to the hospital ship, the Britannic, uh, when it sank as well. And she was on both of them. Yeah, and of course, yeah, you're <laughs> yeah, and then, of course, you got uh, First Officer Lightoller on the Titanic, the guy who fires the pistol shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy who was at the helm of the Titanic when, when they sighted the iceberg. He was at Dunkirk. He drove one of those... What, he took his little boat, because he'd retired by then, he took his little boat and uh, sailed across the channel and rescued sailors. Um, that was amazing. Another, so. another great film, The Longest Day. Yeah. I thought you were going to say uh, Dunkirk. That was probably one of the suckiest films I ever saw. Actually, I, I really thought that was a very good film. That sucked. No. Absolutely. It sucked. It, it didn't. Be, well, it, yes, it did. It was even accurate. It was very accurate. Except yeah, it wasn't one... accurate. Are you kidding me? There was nobody on the beaches. How can you have nobody well, on I the was beaches? Say, except for one thing, which was, and and it's been pointed out to the director a number of times that there weren't there weren't that many people on the beach. Mm. He, you know, the crowd scenes were a little underplayed. But yeah. the actual story uh, and the events were all, each of them uh, was a uh, it was vignette. More, I just thought the documentary was hell a lot better than the movie was. Uh, but it wasn't a movie about, well, the director had said, you, you already had the longest day. Um, we're talking about the, 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 the last Dunkirk, right? The last one that came out, right? Yeah. Yeah, that sucked. Ends with the, ends with the, uh, the Spitfire. Both, both thought it sucked. Ending with the Spitfire gliding forever into the sunset onto the beach. Yeah. Yeah. That bit was a bit. There was a yeah. lot of things that was, that, that movie had serious problems. Anyway. Fine enough. Yeah. Let's, let's agree to disagree on that one. And uh, should we probably should talk about ghosts or something, I think. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> So, uh, well, if you if you look at um, you look at history through the lens of the 21st century, let's look at it through the lens of the paranormal because there are so many. There's a load of YouTubers who periodically wander across uh, Normandy and the Somme battlefields and other battlefields, and what they're they're really doing is, I mean, they're talking about the history and they're talking about the. Um, the, the, the locations where all these big events that we've spoken about, Armand, um, mm-hmm. uh, the Remagen Bridge and others, you know, all the great movies, that the, the YouTubers go visit them. And um, the re- one thing they do comment upon, um, which always intrigues and interests me, is the atmosphere, the ambiance. Now, they're not talking yeah. about specifics. But you and you and I know about that. It's like if you expect the place to be haunted, it's haunted. I mean, it's well, you, you go in it with expectations, and they yeah. know about okay. the tragedy, they know about the death, and so that's where the feelings come from. I mean, that's a normal parapsychology 
uh, and analysts of the the situation. Well, yes, but it's an interesting uh, window into a fascinating part of humanity of our humanity. Yeah. That you know, we have that same sensation when we walk into a cathedral, um, mm-hmm. or or a, you know an important building. We have that sense of or um, you know. For, you, I've never visited the Washington uh, Memorial or the, Link, the Lincoln Memorial. Well, you uh, should before they tear it down because it offends someone. <laughs> but, you know, when you go into these great places, the Vatican or a castle or a, a big cathedral, the Tower of London, or, you know, even on a lesser scale, Hammond Castle, yeah. um, you know, they have a sense of presence. Even on a mundane scale, though, uh, Steve, you can talk about churches. A lot of people find that same thing in churches when they go to church. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And 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 it you amplify that on a on a massive scale where places are much more significant. So, for example, um, the the five beaches at Normandy. Or mm-hmm. the Somme battlefields of the, of the First War, or yeah. the death camp, the death camps of Poland and, and Eastern Europe. Yeah. You know, if you visit those places, they they have a moving and profound effect on you, and you only have to scale that effect back a little bit to understand why it is that people have experiences. Uh, you know, I, I remember probably one of the most profound places I've ever visited was Auschwitz in Poland. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine um, just. And it, 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 I don't know how you can you cannot be moved by even even if you knew very little about it. And I if didn't it, know. Steve, let me let me riddle you this, Steve. If it was an open field, you'd think you'd still get that same feeling. Well, I was going to say, I, I know, obviously, I knew where I was going, and obviously, we were going there for a reason. But I'll, I'll give you, for example, uh, my first wife and I went, um, and we walked into, we, we went to the original Auschwitz, first of all, which is the one with the famous um, gateway that says, our Bacht, Macht, Frei, Work, Sets You Free, or Work Makes You Free. French and fries, that, had been a, that had been a Polish army barracks. Mm-hmm. Um, before the war, which the Germans took over, and it didn't look very different than any other um, sort of building from the 1920s, 1930s. And when we walked, when she walked into uh, a block, she just burst into tears. Now there was no signs, there was no indications as to why that block, but that was the block where the Russians uh, prisoners had been gassed. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to burst into tears because I have to take a break right now. So anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parson and Ron Kolak right here on Tojanet and Pararex Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Glant and Messier Family Law Group. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? 
With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. International, the first of a two-hour special starring, well, Us? starring me, really. And then, starring me, but ooh. joined by, oh, 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 Mr. Peebly, Mr. Peebly. Oh. Not that new. Hey, there's been Pardon? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, uh, Mr. Uh, we, there's a new book out people uh, might want to go check out uh, by my <laughs> SPR colleague, John Fraser. Um, it's a, a new look at Portuguese hauntings. Oh, heaven of the show. Uh, and uh, he's, <laughs> he's, busy, he's busy promoting it everywhere. Well, um, you can put it on the air. How can you beat that? Reach. I am doing because I wrote the blurb anyway for the cover. Uh, it's really worth a read. It's called Portuguese. Uh, is it a new study in destructive hauntings? Or check it out on Amazon anyway. John Fraser is the author. Portuguese. Just search Portuguese on Amazon. You'll find it. Um, and so on that note, I would like to give my shameless plug for Leslie Bannantine, who has re-released her new book. Uh, well, it's the re-release of the book, which is Halloween Nation. Uh, and uh, there's a whole chapter on me in there. Uh, ha, 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 a whole ha, chapter on you? On me. How can there on, be a chapter? You? I am a chapter for the mentally insane. Uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, so there you go. Yeah, Leslie Bell, check it out. Hollywood Nation uh, to be released on the 10th, I believe, August 10th. So there you go. Right, hang on, I found it now. It's hiding on the shelf. It's called... Portugal, a new investigation into destructive hauntings by John Fraser. Ah. There we are. Um, and uh, remember, do you remember that, that, that young lady uh, we had on as a guest some, some years ago, um, Haley? The one afraid of unicorns? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. She, she slammed it with a review. Of course she did. Uh, yeah, and, and and her review was then slammed as being nasty and vitriolic by 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 quite a few people. Okay. Um, and, and she 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 actually said the paras- uh, that psychologists are biased against what? Uh, they're just not biased. They're objective. 
to which I said, uh, I think my reply to that was, an unbiased psychologist is as rare as a good ghost hunter. <laughs> which was the second version, because it was going to be as rare as a good book reviewer. But I thought, nah, you know, I can't be bothered. You know, sometimes, sometimes you just don't want to, you know, you think, oh, I can't be bothered. An hour of my life, I'll never get back squabbling on social media. Nah, I never do that. It's not, not no, worth my I, trouble. Not worth my time. And she replied by uh, she replied by saying that uh, psychology has protocols and um, uh, standards and stuff like that. And I, thought, oh, yeah, but you know, I still, still wouldn't trust it. Well, you know, she quoted Professor Chris French in support of her. Oh um, my God! Here we go. Book, book she could have got Joe Nichols. He was he was supported it too. Well, she, they are friends. Uh, <laughs> I, I I almost quoted back um, our good friend Lloyd Auerbach's comment to remember that question I asked him a few years ago about whether ghost uh, parapsychology should be allowed to investigate haunted houses, and he was, his fantastic response of absolutely not. They lack the social skills. <laughs> <laughs> tell that to tell. <laughs> Um, oh, um, upcoming upcoming news. Um, yes. I don't know. I'm not supposed to tell anybody yet. I nearly blurted it out then. Oh, all right. Uh, so stay but, tuned but, when it, we can blur it out. <laughs> stay, stay, well, the problem, the problem we've got is uh, the plans for anything in the UK, uh, particularly something in August, in the next couple of weeks. Um <laughs> You can never be certain about anything, can you? True. You know, you, Fair enough. you start promoting something, then it all falls flat. We all get locked down again. Um, yeah. I mean, that 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 Scottish uh, Prime Minister, that one, that little trout-faced woman. Um, she's already said she doesn't want people from England travelling to Scotland. As well, she should. Those English and, are pain. Yes, and she, and she could close the border. Uh, now that would prevent... How could you close the border? Wait a minute. Isn't she a member of the Commonwealth? Isn't she a member of the... Uh... <laughs> Unfortunately, the Scottish part... Well, she couldn't close the border. Yeah, they... Directly, but, but, but what she could do is she could, they could turn back vehicles travelling from affected areas. Uh, uh, so, you know, if you were planning to do something... So if the Queen was Scotland, heading up here, she could just turn around that convoy and send the Queen no. back. No. Hmm. Um, so, in Scotland, in August, planning anything is is difficult. So, yep. I've already said too much, but it might involve Ghost Chronicles. Excellent. When I get the chance to ask you about it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. it might involve all... Well, well, whatever. We're hoping that it will involve. Way too much now. Way too much. I'm not saying anything other than I hope that it will involve all three Ghost Chronicles programs, the Morning Edition and uh, the two late night shows. You mean the Drunken Edition? Yeah. Morning Bums. Yeah, the Drunken Bums from. um, Can't say Eagle News Radio anymore. It's not, is it? It's the net. New England talks. Yeah, it didn't used to be that because I've got the old stickers on the um, WCCM Eagle. and Eagle News Radio. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, 
All right, I'm, so we've talked about enough that we can't talk about, so we did pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but you've got a clue anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Anyways, uh, I was going back to something that you said earlier, and now I can't uh, even remember it. Uh, but all right, so let's. We were talking about ghosts. We were talking about poltergeist and oh yes his new book that comes out is on poltergeist is it now is he following old lines with this book or is it is there something new is it just rehash or is it something new and exciting well he does look at some of the old historic cases but he also looks at um um some of the more contemporary and ongoing cases like of course uh, the cage uh now, you I have mean, to tell the cage because people in the cage, States... The cage is, 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 is a, a small house in Essex, St. Ossith in Essex, um, which is reputedly the, the location of a witch's prison. Yeah, uh, it's like an Indian me, burial ground. Let me just see if I can find you... Uh, oh, some blurb here. It says here the sure, it's on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. The poltergeist is perhaps the most discussed, argued over, and misunderstood phenomenon that could infest one's home or workplace. This book is set to become a definitive work on the subject. The author takes you on a personal quest to try and discover the truth behind this complex and often contentious subject. A quest that takes the reader on a journey from the phantom drummers of the 17th century to the cage in present-day Essex, with stops along the way at Borley Rectory, Amityville, Columbus, Ohio, and Enfield. Wait a spot how can on... anybody talk about cases in the American South? Because some Brit talk about Well, because Americans are experts on everything British, aren't they? Oh, With okay, a spot fine. of mongoose hunting on the Isle of Man. But this is no travelogue. This is a fascinating study and update of an often contentious area of paranormal experience. Sounds Again, like that was, written, like, that was really, yeah, I've just realized <laughs> that was written by... That was, I wrote that. <laughs> I could tell. I could tell. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, that's the inner forward on the back that's... cover. But yeah, I mean, John, John, um, let me just see how many pages it's got in it because I haven't picked this up for a really long time. Um, 300, uh, nearly three hundred pages. Looks at the only provable spontaneous form of the paranormal? Question mark. A brief and slightly alternative history. Uh, are poltergeist phenomena real? Um, object movements, a sign of a poltergeist. Is hmm. rapping phenomena, communication with something intelligent. You know, he, he, he looks at, you know, lots of different aspects and also opens, raises questions like, is a poltergeist and a haunting one and the same thing? You know, extensions of the same. Um, Intriguing. Phenom- so, uh, I mean, there are other great works on Portuguese, and John John himself will will readily point readers at other books as well. But you know, that's you know, to read it in the round. Uh, John's is a is a not a reworking, it's a or, or, or a rehashing. It's a a new look at the at the subject. So um, some will find it contentious, and they will so, disagree with it. Uh, he, he, you mentioned in that little thing about rapping. So, is what he's saying is that seances are poltergeist activity? Uh, no, 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 no. 
what he's saying is that hauntings and poltergeists have have a lot of similarities and questions whether they are um, one and the same or extensions of the same phenomena. Okay. So could that be say, said about seances as well? Uh, no, no, not the, at all. The, the old physical. Uh, you know, we're talking about physical mediumship. Uh, physical, well, physical medium. The physical phenomena inside seances could possibly be linked to, and John does touch on that uh, seance wrappings. Um, but mediumship, uh, physical mediumship, um, per se, no, that's not associated with poltergeist activity, unless you want to claim, of course, that the that the, the medium is a poltergeist focus, as in as is a, the person who is traditionally placed into the role of a poltergeist focus in a house. Right. Um, so you could say that whenever the, the the little girl, boy, mother, father is the poltergeist Dog, activity cat, manifests. Cow. Or whenever. Huh? No, no, or whenever the. Or whenever, of course, the, the just medium... Just making snide remarks while you talk. It's not a big deal. Or whenever the medium is present and um, stuff happens at the sales. Right. Interesting. And, but then you would... Where there are significant differences, of course, is that um, poltergeist phenomena are incredibly rare. Um, seance phenomena aren't. Or they weren't. Back well, in the physical, physical. I mean, there's a difference back, between. To me, you yeah, have back to. In the day they weren't. You know, back in the day, um, yeah. mental mediumship was really the rare one. You know, up until yeah. up until World War Two, mental mediumship was virtually unknown. Mm -hmm. It comes along later. You know. If you look at the, the Duncan seance, Helen Duncan seance, that took place during the war and ended up with her getting tried and put into, thrown into prison um, on the key right. chopped away. Uh, she was producing ectoplasm ghosts and um, causing object movement and sounds and there were voices and there were people being touched and tapped on the shoulder. There was, there was very little... Um, what you would call mental mediumship speaking or trance mediumship where they would speak through the medium or act through the medium. Uh, you, now, the, the, they, were, they were known, of course, Eileen Garrett uh, operating around the same time in the 1920s, 30s and beyond um, was predominantly a trance medium, um, what we would call a mental medium. She, she didn't produce many of the great sort of... Um, parlor tricks of mediumship. She didn't cause a port to rabbits or flowers or play musical instruments. She she had a the spirit spoke through her. But mm. mental mediumship, trans mediumship, is 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 not as common um, before World War Two as it became post World War Two. And it's mm. been it's often been argued and, and set and claimed that uh, that's because our cameras, you know, we developed cameras and we could see in the dark and uh, that put, put pay to their tricks. And to a large extent, that's probably yeah, true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and there is also, some truly fascinating stuff, like, you know, the one you told me about the accordion playing uh, or whatever that is, the one under the table with the cage and all that. What was that, uh, uh -huh. Steve? 
No, that was that was a, that was a, that was uh, Harry Price. Um, ah, that was he, a phenomenal. Piece he of... had a table built, um, yeah. and it's the plans for which exist. And mm. I've 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 actually sent them to you in the past. Uh, phenomenally expensive to make one, but essentially yeah. it was a it was a table with a, a box that dropped into it, a very very close closely fitting box that dropped into it, and beneath. Beneath the table was suspended in the bottom half of the box, which was um, a mesh cage. And into that cage was placed a number of objects and instruments, musical instruments and bells and all manner of were, other were those Were the instruments laying in there or were they suspended? They were just thrown in. Okay, so they were resting on the they middle. Just, yeah, they were just flung in. Um, okay, that's interesting because the middle could be conductive and... Yeah, uh, yeah, but it can't make a harmonic. It can't make um, an accordion play. Yeah, fair enough. Box idea. Um, and the, the the other instruments tended to be relatively simple blow instruments. You know, they were right. there weren't many that, um, but they got played. And then ultimately, of course, there, uh, there's no video of that, is there? Uh, no, no pictures. Uh, uh, there are pictures of the table. Uh, there are pictures of the table being used. There are pictures of the table because ultimately um, there, were, there were several iterations of the table um, because uh, it got it was reduced to matchwood by the spirits. Oh wow! That's kind I of cool. kid you not. And I'm, I'm, you know, price includes photographs of the of the pile of um, splintered table remains remnants. Of, or, um, after following a seance where it was destroyed. Hmm. Now we... <sighs> Never mind, I just lost the whole thought. But yeah, that's, that's intriguing as far as that. Uh, what the hell was I going to say? Damn, I had a question for you too. Damn, damn, damn. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I mean, oh yeah, that's a price, price devised a lot of different methods for... Uh, uh, What's the word? Validating things, or you know, pr trying to prevent uh, tomfoolery, uh, as did Harry Price in, in, as well. But uh, uh, Fisher, uh, yeah, Fisher. What's his name? Uh, Harry Price did quite a bit. Oh. Special special devices to prevent. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean. You have the telekinetoscope, which, again, I think you planned for because there was yep. a, an aborted idea to, to try and recreate one of these things. And, and essentially what it was was uh, a bell. Uh, sorry, a light, a buzzer. Uh, a light or a buzzer. There were two there were different versions of it. Um, and a button. And the spirit had to press the button and light the light. Now, that's, that, you know, that's not difficult to do. Except that Price was a bit cleverer than that because the button was placed underneath the glass bell jar. And you think, ah, well, you know, even that's um, defeatable. Um, so Price had thought of that too. Um, so underneath the bell jar and over the button was a soap bubble, a glycerin uh, soap bubble. Yeah. So that if there had been any attempt to go near the button, the bubble would have burst and given it away. And you think, and I, you know, I remember reading the, the initial plans for the kinetoscope thinking, ah, I can make that work. I can light that bulb. Because if you put a, a metal pin through the wire, you will short the inner and the outer contacts. You will, you will complete the circuit. The bulb will light. 
price thought of that too. He'd had armoured cable fitted. Hmm. Um, and yet the bulb worked. Um, and the bulb illuminated in, in some of the sentences with Stella Crenshaw. So that's kind of like a, the, you gave me a crude example of that in the spirit lamp that you gave me. Yes. Right? Basically yeah. a, a power source, a, a light bulb, yeah. and, a, and a toggle switch. You turn the toggle switch on, the bulb lights up, turn it off, it shuts off. Correct? Correct. Yeah. Very simple circuit, and you ask the spirits to, um, to, to light the light. Mm-hmm. But you, you make it difficult, you know, you make it impossible for a human agent to light the right. light without being yeah. detected or found out. And Price had all manner of devices. You know, he had, he had, um, he had um, all the participants in sound circles, for example, would all join hands and feet. Uh, but the hands and feet were all, they all wore um, electrically conductive shoes and gloves so that if anybody let go with anybody, the circuit would break yeah. um, and a light would come on above the, or indicating on a board who would let go of who. Sort of like that little thing I demonstrated at uh, seances, right, where everybody holds hands and then we hold that little thing and uh, there you go, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. That's it. A, a I know it's crude. That's crude, but uh, it's I mean, kind Price, of that thing. Price had his own sound, had his own laboratory, and he was, you know, he was a, a competent engineer and inventor. Mm-hmm. And what, what he did was he came up with a, a device that would, would indicate, first, if the circuit was broken, and secondly, where the circuit was broken. That's pretty cool, yeah. Um, and, there, you know, by, by, by which means it was possible to you've let go of her. Yeah, you can actually do that. You could, you could actually put a, a light over each room that lit up with the circuit broke. Yeah, and he 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 did other things too. He he worked on infra, he had infrared still uh, still cameras and infrared lights fitted into the science room, so he could mm. he could snap photographs at, at appropriate moments in the, because obviously the mediums, in many cases like Rudy Schneider, were operating in darkness or right. very very dim light. But Price used um, infrared sensitive film with infrared um, lights inside the inside the sound. That was available at that time period, about the 1930s, 40s, or somewhere early. Yeah, infrared infra, infrared film was, was was around from around the world War, around World War One, um, oh. and Price had was also using infrared bulbs, so uh, he was able to. Um, in fact, he caught the medium, <laughs> caught several mediums that way, but. He, he did catch um, the medium out in infrared. What Price always wanted, uh, he was always very, um, uh, one thing that was sort of high on his list of things that he would have loved to have done was to have infrared video or infrared movie footage. Mm-hmm. And he did, he did look at uh, trying to persuade some of the film manufacturers um, um, if they could make a an infrared sensitive movie film, um, so you never got. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, back in the day, I mean, people like uh, you know Thomas Gwendolyn Hamlin did. They did the. He did similar things with. He had banks of cameras. He even had stereo cameras, which I was amazed of from that time period. So, um, well, stereo photography you know, goes back to the Victorian era. Um, yeah. And price. If you look at the, you know, the famous photographs that 
they're always used the prices laboratory. Um, you will see very prominently on a stand, you will see a stereo camera. Very prominently, uh, because it was part of his kit. But there was also you know, there were some bizarre items in it too. Um, one of my favourites was um, a jar of mercury um, to show vibrations, and he would pour the mercury into a saucer, okay. and by shine, shining a light onto the surface of the, of the mercury, it would ripple and vibrate and reveal vibrations. Pretty clever. Um, we, can, I mean, we could do. We could do. Why make it complicated? We could do cool stuff like that when we were kids. You know, our scout, our scoutmaster had a a kilner gel that was mm-hmm. that had about four or five pounds of mercury in it, and mm-hmm. he would pour it out into a plastic washing up bowl, and we would float old British bronze uh, copper pennies on it, which are like they're big, yeah, much bigger than the American uh, penny. Um, and we would do, you know, we would play with liquid mercury. And, uh, of course, it's completely safe unless you've got an open cutter and you breathe the fumes in. Right. Uh, but nowadays, you know, you, you, you'd put a drop of mercury on the floor of your factory. You've got to evacuate the building and men in Yeah, we have, to, we have to turn in our fluorescent light bulbs if we have, still possess any. And, and uh, when they expire and also mercury thermometers. When, really? You know, yeah. I, I took a, I, I spent, uh, well, a few years ago, I spent a good few days dismantling them and uh, also taking, you remember the, the the mercury tilt switches you used to get in the equipment? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got yeah they, have, they had those in uh, the heating systems, too. The, the thermostats contained uh, a little vial of mercury. That's how they, yeah. they worked, yeah. Yeah, I collected. I've collected quite a bit of mercury um, from those devices because we, we don't have to hand them. Well, that explains a lot of things, Steve. What? The lack of your hair, your disposition. No, that's not the mercury. That's Man the radioactive collect. Man is a hatter. Well, that's not that. It's uh, <laughs> Just... to do with the mercury. That's all down to do with the radioactive stuff I collect as well. <laughs> Anyway, radium. I loved radium. That was the coolest thing in the world to me. Yeah, not, there's not many. I don't think there is many people around who who've, who've seen radium glow. Oh, it's so cool! Isn't it cool? Isn't it cool? Mm-hmm. But it was yeah, sodium, potassium. Those are all fun things too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Throwing them into water. Yeah. <laughs> Magnesium, light up a little magnesium for you. Yeah, I was always uh, oh. you know, we we played with all them sodium, uh, potassium. Chuck them into some water and watch what happens. Oh, yeah. or, or take them out of the water and watch what happens. Throw them in a the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's the uh, I don't that anymore, right? You know, I ain't allowed to do anything anymore. To be honest with you. Uh, anyways. Uh, this is the first hour of our two-hour special of uh, Waldorf and yeah. Statler. We've got to do it again. Uh, so, yes. so where's Anne? Who? Anne Carrigan, the blonde bombshell. Her daughter is getting married. Oh. So she's doing a shower thingy. Uh, I'll explain it then. Because the only because they were they were what's the name of that place you go to on holiday horses ass or something? I have no idea. We were on holiday, weren't we, last week? Yeah, some 
campground. Yeah, horses that's all horses. Some part of horses in that anyway. I'm sure it is. Anyways, uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International, Steve Parson and Ron Kolick, and right here on Tojanet Pararex Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. So there you go. And uh, if you can take a little break, do a bathroom break, grab yourself a drink, and head back over to your uh, computer or your telephone and uh, whatever you listen to us on. And uh, stay tuned for the second half where I'm sure we'll talk about who knows what we'll talk about, right, are we, Steve? Are we really going to start like and end one and start another? Can we just keep talking? <laughs> no, we have to, so we have to stop it in. No, because they're two actually two different shows. Okay. Yeah, they're actually two different shows. They're – they, uh, as we all know, the, go, the next generation is the flagship of the. Uh, yes, it's the flagship of the flagship show. So yeah, yeah, it has. Uh, we have to. Treat them get properly. all the promotion and all the good guests. Yep, that's the one we have to treat properly. Anyways, there's the tunes. So go take your break and head back. We'll be we'll be here. I'm sure. You've got about thirty seconds. Yeah, a little bit longer. Thirty-two. Good night. God bless everyone. Stay safe. Good night. Don't go away. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.